Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to discuss this counting between the holiday of Pesach and Shavuos in a very deep way, in a way that I really haven't heard it discussed before. And this has come after, you know, many years of studying this and many years of thinking about it. So for whatever that's worth. 50 days after the Jewish people left Egypt, we received the Torah at Mount Sinai. Now remember, getting the Torah at Mount Sinai was not just an activity that God decided to do. Like, I took several million people out of Egypt. I got a... Well, I can't take them to the zoo. I got I got to plan some activity for them. Oh, I'll give them the Torah at Mount Sinai. Okay, that'll keep them busy for the next several thousand years till I bring Mashiach. That wasn't it. First of all, the Torah existed before the world was created. So the Torah, so to speak, is God's mind. I mean, okay, God doesn't have a brain, right? God makes brains. But nonetheless, he had a, a, a plan for the world. I'm going to take them out of Egypt in order to give them the Torah. Not, I'm going to take them out of Egypt and then I'm going to give them the Torah. No, no, no. I'm going to take them out of Egypt in order to give them the Torah. Very important. And how do we know that? Because it says that when God spoke to Moshe by the burning bush, the main thing that God said to Moshe was, take the Jews out of Egypt, then you're going to return them back here. The burning bush was at Mount Sinai. But it uses a different word for Mount Sinai, so this isn't as well known. It's referred to as Horeb there. Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. Now, we're supposed to count 50 days. So you would think that the whole point is to count to the number 50. And the amazing thing is, since it's on the 50th day that we get the Torah, and by the way, 50 in Jewish thought means the top. Like the top of heaven is 50, okay? That's the number 50. You would think that it's all building toward us counting the 50th day. And in, you know, classic Jewish practice, we don't count number 50. We only count to 49, which is nuts. The whole thing is about the 50th day when we get the Torah and we only count to 49. Why? And the answer is because the difference between the third day and the fourth day, or the 17th day and the 18th day, can't compare to the difference between the 49th day and the 50th day. The 50th day stands for heaven. You can get only so far. And then there's a quantum leap to the divine, to the infinite, to God's mind. That's the 50th day. You can't count to that. You can only receive that. The idea is that when you count, there's a certain ownership. There's a certain putting of parameters around, right? Like when I count something, it's finite. But that applies 1 through 49. But when you get to the infinite, 
I can't put a number on that because it's beyond. And that's the realm of the Torah. And that's what it means that at Mount Sinai, heaven came down to earth. In other words, this infinite aspect came down to earth and we were able to receive it. Okay. So now let's get to the new thoughts. There are two very different systems going on simultaneously with the counting of the Omer. And they're opposites. And that's what's so intriguing. Two opposite systems going on at the same time. The first thing that's going on is we're talking about these divine energies going from heaven down to earth. We start from the top of heaven, and we work ourselves down. So if you think about it, that's a wonderful description of what happened at Mount Sinai. Because what did we just say? We said that heaven came down to earth. And that's what we're describing when we count the sphere out. We start with the week of Chesed, and we work all the way down to Malchus, which is this realm. Okay, so where are the opposites? Well, we didn't get to the second part yet. <laughs> the second part is we count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, wait a second. We're going from the bottom up. But didn't we just say that we're also describing the energies going from the top all the way down below? And yet our number count is from the bottom going all the way to the top. So we have these two opposite systems going on simultaneously. And when we count number one, which is the bottom here below, we say that's the Svira day of Chesed Shebechesed, which is all the way at the top. So simultaneously, when we're counting the bottom, we're referencing the top. And then we count the second day, we're going up a little bit, and then we count Gevora Shebechesed, which is the divine energy is now coming down a notch. Then we go up a notch. We count the third day, and we count Teferit Shebechesed. The divine energy is going down another notch. So here's the question. Are we going up or are we going down? <laughs> and if you've got a good Jewish head, you know the answer is always both. You'll never go wrong saying both to an answer, by the way. In fact, that reminds me of one of my favorite stories that I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of the Baal Shem Tov. Okay? So this, this story is to illustrate something that Rebbe Nachman talks about a lot, which is this aspect of holy chutzpah. Right? Holy chutzpah is when you say, God, it's true, I, I did this wrong, I did that wrong, but I'm still coming back to you. I'm not going to let you go. That's holy chutzpah. Where even if you mess up, you don't stop pounding on the gates of heaven. God, let me in. I want to be close to you. So Reb Shlomo tells this story in the name of the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov would go early morning, probably while it was still dark out, you know, to take a mikveh in the river every day. So... Just to, 
just make a, a, a small pause. Everyone should be aware of the, the term that we use in, in Torah is Mesiris Nefesh. That means that when you give of yourself on a beyond level, right? Mesiris Nefesh. It's like you don't have any more strength to do that good thing and somehow you find the strength and you do it anyway. That's, that is, man, if you can be in the category of Mesiris Nefesh, where it's like, I'm too tired to do it, and then you do it anyway with a smile, then you're rolling, as they say. That's Mesiris Nefesh. So I can't tell the story about the Baal Shem Tov going to the mikveh every morning without talking about our holy mothers and our holy fathers who went in freezing weather on a regular basis into freezing rivers to go to the mikveh, literally chipping off ice, ice coverings, frozen rivers, in order to go in and, and to ritually elevate themselves. And we've got stories like this, unbelievable stories of Mesiris Nefesh. In fact, I heard one. We were privileged to have the Chabad rabbi, you ready for this, of Nepal, speak for us at a Shalashudis at the Happy Minion. And there was an Israeli couple, you know, a lot of Israelis, after their military service, they travel all around, and many of them go to India, and many of them go to, to Nepal and Tibet. And this couple contacted the rabbi, and they said they weren't religious, and will you perform the service? And he said, I'll perform the service, but it has to be according to Jewish law. And if you agree to that, I'll do the wedding. If you don't agree to that, then, you know, mazel tov, but find someone else to marry. So, so they said, no, 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 we agree, we agree. And it came time for the wedding. And, you know, the bride has to go to the mikvah before the wedding. Well, suffice it to say, in order to find a mikvah there, they had to mountain climb to a frozen lake. And this was not a religious woman. And he described the Mesiris Nefesh. You know, really? Wow. But this is one of like thousands, tens of thousands of stories like this. That's just one that I've heard. Right? In fact, I'll tell you another one, which is unbelievable. Would, would study Zohar, the main Kabbalistic work. In the middle of the night, he would chip off the ice and he would go into the freezing river and he would light a candle and put it on the ice and he would open up the Zohar while he's in the freezing cold mikveh. And someone came with him, right? And, and did the same. And he was like, you know, like he was, his heart was stopping. And the Zidichaiver said to him, oh, you don't know how to make the water warm? So apparently there are secrets to making the water warm, but, you know, you'll have to learn that from someone else. Um, let's get back to the Baal Shem. But listen, I got to tell you one more mikvah story. So there's a rabbi who I had the privilege of meeting. 
And his name was Rav Nanas. And he was a Chabad Chassid, and a, like a tzaddik, amazing person. And he was imprisoned in the Soviet Union and sent to Siberia for teaching Torah. Torah was outlawed, and he was teaching Torah to children to keep our people going. And he was arrested and sent to Siberia. And they tried to kill him several times, and every time they tried to kill him, somehow, somehow God protected him, and he was saved. And he was known, there's a book that he wrote called Sabota, which means the Sabbath, Saturday, in Russian. And they called him Sabota because he refused to work on Shabbos. And they tried to kill him for not working on Shabbos. And this is the story when they decided to leave him alone. You ready? It was Siberia, so it's freezing. And he was going to go to the mikveh. Again, another one of these stories of someone chipping away the ice and going into the water. And, I mean, I personally have been in more than one mikveh that's been freezing where I felt my heart stopping. And I thought I was going to have a heart attack. And I'm, I'm not joking. I thought, okay, I'm dying now. <laughs> so so I know a little bit, a little bit of, of what we're talking about here. Not much. And to do that on a regular basis, and, and worse than what I experienced, you, you got to really be connected. Anyway, so Rabnanis is going to go to the mikveh, but... In Siberia, in a Soviet prison camp, they don't let you go to the mikveh. So two armed guards said to him, stop. And he, he wouldn't stop. And so they took out their guns and they fired their gun to shoot and kill him. And their gun didn't go off. And at that point they realized, okay, this is a holy man and we're not going to mess with him anymore. Now, I met this man. I met this man. And I, I met him with a, a friend of mine. And my friend said to him, we were probably in our, you know, mid-twenties. And here's this old man who's probably 80, sitting alone in the dining room. And my friend says to him, did you ever wonder why God was doing these things to you? And I heard this answer from him with my own ears. He said, it's none of my business. Can you imagine? It's none of my business. I heard that with my own ears. And he also told me that the Lubavitcher Rebbe had promised him that he would make it to Israel. And so throughout his entire experience in Siberia, he trusted in this promise, in this blessing that he was going to make it to Israel and never questioned that. And you know what? He made it to Israel. He survived and he made it to Israel. Amazing. All right, so now we can go back to the Baal Shem's Tov story. <laughs> Remember, we're trying to figure out what's holy chutzpah. So the, the Baal Shem Tov is going to, to the mikveh every morning, right? Freezing cold. 
and there's a townsperson who makes a fire for the Baal Shem Tov while he's in the mikveh and hides so that when the Baal Shem Tov gets out of the freezing cold water, there's going to be a fire there where he can warm himself. But the person is hiding. So at some point, the Baal Shem Tov says, all right, look, I know you're there. So come out. So the person comes out and the Baal Shem Tov says to him, for doing this for me, I'm going to give you one of two blessings. I'm either going to bless you with long life or with riches. Which, which blessing do you want? And the person thinks and says, I'll take both. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's holy chutzpah. That's holy chutzpah. <laughs> okay, so, so a lot of us, we don't think that way. But you should think that way. Because God is infinite. God can give you anything. Nothing's hard for God. So now let's return back to our original question. On the one hand, we're talking about the divine energies coming from the highest place down below. On the other hand, we're talking about counting from the smallest number and going to above. Well, are we, is it, which way is it going? And the answer is both. And now let me give you a visualization for this. Imagine you are rising up, like we're counting numbers up. One, two, three, four, we're rising up. We're rising up, and imagine there's a divine cloud coming down. Well, as you go up further into the cloud, the cloud is coming down. You're going up as it's coming down. And at the end, you're going to be completely covered by the cloud. Do you understand? Both of these things are going on at the same time. Okay. So now, based on this, let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. You see, what is this period about? So everybody knows that it's more than counting numbers. We're actually working on our personality traits and trying to fix ourselves during this process. And now it's become very popular. There's a whole series of books that are out now. What each day means and what some uh, like a to-do for each day, how you can improve yourself and work on yourself. They've got these handbooks. I know of at least three or four of them right now that are out. And people are writing more of these things. So it's not just about counting numbers. It's really about making, rectifying what we call your midos. Now, midos often is translated as personality. But midos has a very fascinating actual literal definition. Midos means measurements. Now, that's a little counterintuitive. Because when we think of our mood, or we think of our personality, that's very abstract, right? It's not concrete, like a, like you put a number to it. Like one of the interesting things is, if, if I don't know if you've ever heard a doctor say this, they call it the pain scale. Ah, oh, it hurts, it hurts. And then the nurse will say, 
on, on, on a scale of one to five, how much does it hurt? Have you ever heard that? Like, it's kind of weird because you go, well, a three. Well, I guess it doesn't hurt that much. It's not a five. Like, usually if it hurts, that's the end of the conversation. It, it just hurts. So it's like, it's like when we get into the realm of the personality and emotions, usually we don't, we don't quantify it. We usually don't put a number to it. So it's very interesting that in Torah, when we talk about personality, midos, the word actually means measurements. Now, one of the interesting things that I've heard people say, if someone gets upset, sometimes this, these words are actually effective, right? Sometimes when someone gets really upset, there's no talking to them because they're just irrational at that moment. But sometimes this, these words sometimes work. You say to the person, you're overreacting. And then the person goes, I am? <laughs> or sometimes that makes them even madder. I'm not overreacting! But if you get lucky, <laughs> if you get lucky, sometimes that just snaps something in their brain that, you see, sometimes when people think that, you see, it's kind of like an all-you-can-eat buffet. Like, people don't really monitor themselves at an all-you-can-eat buffet. You think, oh, the rule is, is that all of this is mine. And it's just a question of how much of this I can put into my stomach. Like, in my, you know, youth, I developed this strategy, which is, I don't know if you know this, but it takes 20 minutes for the stomach to signal the brain that it's full. That's why one of the best dieting tips or even just menschlichkeit tips that you can give a person is eat slowly. And I heard Dennis Prager say one time, I thought this was very interesting, take smaller bites. Why? Because if you take a big forkful of the food or you take a small forkful of the food, it tastes the same in your mouth. That to me was like a chiddish. That was like, wow. Like we think if I can put more of this good tasting food in my mouth, it will taste even better because I'm putting more of it in my mouth. So more of a good thing should be better. And yet the reality is it's based on taste and you hit that threshold of taste very quickly. So if you take a small amount of food, you're getting 100% of taste. And if you take a big forkful of food, you're still getting the same 100% of taste. So in a way, you're depriving yourself of pleasure by taking more food. Because by taking more food, you're going to get rid of the pleasure faster. So it's actually very, very good advice. Anyway. So here is a tip if you really aspire to be a glutton. <laughs> Usually I don't give out these bits of advice. But if you go to an all-you-can-eat buffet, eat as fast as you can. Because <laughs> otherwise, your brain is going to tell you that you're full, and then you can't eat anymore. 
So eat while the eating is good. <laughs> okay, now that I've told you that, don't do that. <laughs> but what I'm trying to tell you is I'm trying to make a comparison by the average person's experience at an all-you-can-eat buffet and emotionality. People think, as long as I'm being angry, let me be as angry as I possibly can be. I'm just being angry anyway. I might as well be really good at being angry. Well, this is terrible. This is the opposite of midos, which means measurements. You have to measure your reactions to things. I'm not talking about becoming a robot. I'm not talking about not being in the moment. But I am talking about being a mensch. At, at a certain point, you have to say, okay, that, that's enough of that emotion. Or that, that is the amount that's appropriate for this situation. And, and that's what it is. So what about people who struggle with their mitos and, and attribute their mitos to their innate personality that they are unable to change? Can you speak to the ability of change and how important it is for Jews to constantly change and improve themselves. So yeah, so it's very important. It's very important. This is a, a large part of why we're in this world, so that we can grow. And I have sort of a visual that I, I like to think about and use, which is if you've ever been to the store Ikea. So Ikea is, is one of these places where you buy a table or couch and it comes in a box and you know it's a nice piece of furniture but you have to put it together and so I, I think that all of us are like that and then life is a process of putting ourselves together in other words all of us are born with flaws and Part of putting ourselves together is to make these different aspects of ourselves one harmonious whole. That, that's the idea. So every single person is born with negative attributes. Every single person. Because remember, we believe in reincarnation. And so the only reason why we're in this world on one level is to fix our souls. In other words, we, there's unfinished business for all of us. Reb Shlomo called this world one big hospital clinic. All of us are here to fix something. So all of us have these aspects. Now, we can also, unfortunately, develop new bad things over the course of our lifetime through bad habits. But all of us begin with bad habits. And then we have to grow out of them. And anyone who says that you, that, you see, one of the worst things from a Torah perspective, and there are people like this, unfortunately, in the world, who go like this, hey, 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 that's just me. You don't like it? That's, that's the way I am. That's what you get when you deal with me. You know what? Run from that person. Run from that person. And if that's you, get it together fast. Get it together fast, because it is not their problem, it is your problem. And you have the responsibility to fix it. And this whole idea, hey, 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 this is just me, 
That doesn't wash in Torah. And you might get away with it. You might have chosen, you know, some nice suckers to hang around with who take that, who take that during this lifetime. But you're going to have to answer to that eventually. And, you know, better to take responsibility and to go, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to fix this? I'm overwhelmed by it. And so many people are so overwhelmed by these attributes, they feel as though they can't fix it. So that's getting back to this question. What do you do with people who say, well, I, I, I can't fix it, right? Well, the answer is something that I heard from the Alter Rebbe of Lubavitch, which is just so simple. But again, you know, so much wisdom, so much wisdom here. Anyone who's tried to start a fire and let's say you've got a log with the size of your waist or something like that, you know, like a big, thick log. And you think you can light that on fire with one match? You've got like a matchbook and you take one match and you put it under this big log and you've got how many seconds of fire before the match burns out? Good luck. You're never going to light a big log like that with one match. He says, but you can. Really? What's the secret? Break it down into really small pieces. You break down that log into really small pieces, one match can light the log. So that's what it is. You've got a big problem, you've got to break it down into small pieces. And by the way, that goes with mitzvahs also. You know, Shabbos is a big mitzvah. You know how many different parts there are to Shabbos? It's like, it's, it's a big, big mitzvah. A lot of stuff going on if you want to keep Shabbos. You know what you do? You break it down. And you go, okay, now I'm doing this little part of it. Okay, now I'm doing this little part of it. And you and, and the Yetzirah wants to tell you, oh, if you're not doing it 100%, you're not doing it at all. And who are you kidding? Who are you kidding, really, right? You're lighting Shabbos candles on time and then you're going out to the movies? Are you joking me? But you know what? Yeah, Light the Shabbos candles. Of course. Of course light the Shabbos. You're going to make Kiddush and then you're going to go out to a club? Are you kidding me? Make Kiddush. Of course. Why? Because Kiddush is a mitzvah. Lighting candles is a mitzvah. You're going to put on tefillin and then with that same hand you're going to eat a cheeseburger? Yeah. Absolutely. Why not? Why not? Putting on tefillin is a mitzvah. You, you are never going to go wrong doing a mitzvah. That's light for your soul. That's life. That's life for this world. Okay, and then you'll slowly improve. As you have the strength to improve, you'll improve. Okay. So remember, we're still on our question right now, which is, as I'm getting closer to Mount Sinai, I'm counting up. And I'm working on these mitos and everything like that. But at the same time, as I'm getting closer from Pesach to Shavuos, this divine energy is coming down. All right, so now let me put it all together for you. Here's what I think the idea is. You see, when more divine energy comes down, we have to expand our vessels to receive. Say that again because now we're really getting to the point right now. As more divine energy comes down, 
we have to expand our vessels to receive it. Now, you want a definition of vessels, of kalim? Midos. The Pischei Sharm, holy Kabbalistic work, says Midos are kalim. Your personality traits are the vessels to receive the light. And as we go through the different levels of our personality traits and try to perfect them, what we're doing during that process, by being more generous, by being less angry, by being more sensitive, by studying more, what we're doing is we're expanding our vessels as we're counting so that we can be receiving more of the light that's coming down from heaven. So that when it comes to the 49th day, our vessels are sufficiently expanded to hold the ultimate light. That's what's going on, I think. That's what's going on. Because if you're not expanding your vessels by rectifying your personality, when that light comes down, it's really not a blessing because you're not holding any of it. Yeah, a lot is coming down. But have you ever had this experience where you're on the beach and you take a handful of sand and how much do you actually keep? Kind of all goes through your fingers, right? You took so much. You took a big handful of sand. But now, how much did you keep? So right now, in preparation of the light coming down, we want to keep as much of that light as we possibly can. And that's what the counting is. And that's the correlation with all of these self-help, self-rectification, self-improvement exercises that we're doing during this period. All right, now I want to go even deeper. I want to go even deeper. Okay. Remember, the burning bush is at Mount Sinai. If you remember, there are five levels to the soul. There's three levels inside of you, And two levels outside of you, you have going from the bottom to the top, your nephesh is that life energy inside you that keeps your liver going, that keeps your heart pumping, that keeps your blood circulating. That's the base level life force in your body. It's called nephesh. Above that, you have your ruach. Then you have your neshama, which is like your getting to your godly soul now. And then outside you, you have your Chaya and your Yechida, which goes all the way up to the Kisei covered to the throne of glory. And we spent a lot of time on this. We talked about what is transcendence? What are the mechanics of transcendence? And again, we're learning from the Pischei Sharim here. What it is, is when you learn Torah and when you do mitzvahs, you take that aspect of your soul, which is beyond you, and you pull it down into you. That's what transcendence is. 
And then your soul grows. You actually get a larger soul as a consequence of that. So you're pulling from the above into your body. You're internalizing the beyond. It's amazing. So that gives us a very interesting perspective of what transcendence is. Because I thought transcendence is leaving myself. But transcendence now we see is actually taking that which is beyond yourself and bringing it into yourself. Isn't that interesting? It's not leaving this world. It's taking, so to speak, the beyond and bringing it into this world. That's transcendence. Now this describes the Messianic period as well. Because there is a light beyond this world. And what's going to happen when Mashiach comes is that light is going to enter into this world. That's amazing. Remember, a a person is considered a miniature world. Well, just like you have your soul inside you and outside of you, so too the world has a soul to it, so to speak, but also light which is even beyond it. And that light which is beyond it is going to enter into the world and spiritualize the world. And that's the Messianic period we talk about. Now, the Pischei Sharm gives us a visualization. You ready for this? A candle, a lit candle. Listen to just how utterly simple and utterly profound this is. The candle itself is this world. The flame above it is the higher light which is outside this world waiting to enter this world. The wax part, that's this world, like the material world, right? The material element to this world. And then the flame above it, the light, is that light which is beyond this world, which is waiting to come down into this world. Okay, so now let's think about this candle metaphor, like the light beyond this world that's going to come down into this world. What was the burning bush? The burning bush was this this plant that was on fire, but it wasn't catching fire. You see, there's a flame that burns, and there's a flame that's so high, it's a fire that doesn't burn. And we're talking about a level that's completely transcendent right now. A fire that doesn't burn. You know, I I never understood the burning bush till I read from a great rabbi this detail, that the leaves inside the burning bush were still bright green. Like, I didn't get it. It's this bush, this green bush, that remains a green bush amidst the flames. And it stays green even though it's completely engulfed in fire. That's totally miraculous. And God said to Moses at Mount Sinai from the burning bush, bring them back here to get the Torah. Meaning to say, this light from above, this fire above is going to enter into this world. And it's going to be like the burning bush where this light 
illuminates, but it doesn't burn. Where transcendence enters into the world itself. And remember, when we receive the Torah, it said that we reversed the entire story of the Garden of Eden with the snake. It was all gone. It was all gone. And how did we have vessels to receive that light? Well, the main thing is that we were unified. We loved each other. We loved each other. We were patient with each other. We were tolerant of each other. We encouraged each other. We had a good eye for each other. Now listen to what Rebbe Nachman of Breslov says. If you want to hear just how much unity and the 49 days leading up to the revelation of the Torah go together. There are 12 tribes in Israel. And guess how many days we count? 49. And now guess how many letters there are to the names added together of the 12 tribes? 49. When it's all together, we become a vessel to receive. So it's not just about self-improvement and widening your own, widening your own vessels, but it's about creating unity among our people. And then when we have unity, our national vessel, because remember, you're part you, but you're also a member of this greater soul called Israel. And you can only fully realize yourself through both identities. Which means, you know, when they talk about how important it is to, to, to love your fellow person. They say, if you don't, do you know what it's like? I, I wish I came up with this example. It's so brilliant and so simple. It's like picking up a fork with one hand and stabbing yourself in the hand with the other. <laughs> Who would do such a thing? Who would stab themselves? So that's what it is when you're not nice to, a, to, to your fellow Jew. You're literally picking up a fork and stabbing yourself in the hand. So, so we're realizing both of these things. National unity and personal expansion. National unity and personal expansion. And that creates this grand vessel to bring down this transcendent light and to fix the world. Okay.